1: surrender your life completely to the Lord, you're trusting in the Lord, you're not following your own flesh, you're following the Holy Spirit, this is exactly what you want to say, Lord willing. We need to trust our lives in the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead us and direct us into the direction where he wants to take us. Many of us put too much hope and we find out that once we get there, there is nothing. We made the wrong turn. We can see here that the, the Lord was leading Paul and he was guiding his step. The Holy Spirit was directing the work of the ministry.
0: If we come to know the Lord, he is faithful to give us guidance. Pastor Eddie shows us in Acts where we're told that we'll be given a helper. Not only are we told that we'll have help, but we'll see it in Paul's ministry as well. He was given guidance by the Holy Spirit, and we can expect the same help if we're serving God. The key is that we're not just doing things for ourselves and by ourselves, but following the Lord and His perfect will for us. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie for today's edition of Running the Race.
1: Acts chapter 19 verse 1, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul had passed through the upper region, came to Ephesus. Now, Apollos, if you remember in our last study, he was a Jewish man from Alexandria. Alexandria had many universities. If you wanted to get a really good education, Alexandria was the place. But uh, he was, the Bible tells us that this man, Apollos, was an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, and he came to Ephesus. And when he came to Ephesus, he only knew about the baptism of John. He only knew that, yeah, Christ is coming, baptism of repentance for Christ. But then this dynamic couple, this, this husband and wife, couple with awesome ministry they together uh, heard him speak and saw that he taught very well however they took him to the side they didn't just rebuke him in the open and say hey you're wrong you don't know anything you know uh they took him to the side and they spoke to apollos and they shared the complete story he knew he heard about uh, the coming of christ and repentance but aquila and priscilla spoke to him about and they told him about uh, christ had come he was crucified The tomb is empty. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And now the Holy Spirit came and fell upon the church and the birth of the church began. And so after he spent time with Aquila and Priscilla, it says that now he he spoke the word accurately. So now he speaks, he's now teaching it more accurately, giving the full story. And so now Apollos is in Corinth while Paul is passing through the upper regions in the area of the city, Ephesus. Now, you know, students, as we... Whenever the scriptures takes us to a place, it's good to know the background of that place. And so, just by way of giving you a little background on Ephesus, uh, is good because you're gonna. The more you understand the place and the culture, the better you understand the word and the reason why Paul wrote a letter, or you know, Peter or James uh, anyone in the scriptures would write. Uh, Anything in the passage is good to know the background. And so with the city of Ephesus, it was founded about 1400 BC. It was the most important city in the Roman province in Asia Minor. And this is very important for us because this is where the ministry began Asia Minor. What's in Asia Minor? The seven churches that we read in the book of Revelation. The seven letters to the seven churches, chapter two and three. And so this is like the beginning of of the birth of the movement that God is doing there in that region of Galatia. And so it's with Asia Minor, which is what we know today as Turkey. And so, when you look in your map, turkey, you think of uh, Asia. And so, the city of Ephesus at that time was a large commercial city, and it was the chief city of the province of Asia. As a matter of fact, they called it the Vanity Fair of Asia, the Vanity Fair of Asia. And it was the site of the Temple of Diana, If you? Uh, Go Google, this temple is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a large temple, a beautiful temple, a temple that was about 425 feet in length and 200 feet width. It was made entirely of marble, entirely of marble, the whole temple. And that temple had 127 pillars, 127 pillars. And those pillars, uh, some were inlaid with gold and rare gems. And so the culture in that time in Ephesus, um, it was a a place that was filled with carnatus, murderers, and perverts. Kind of like what we have today, right? (laughs) Nothing different, nothing changed. The heart of man is corrupt. It's always been the same. Nothing changes. And so the city of Ephesus was a wealthy city. If you wanted to study uh, the arts, you wanted to study magic, illusion, that was the place where you go. And so we could see that the city uh, became a collecting place for superstition, dark arts, magic, illusion, and it was also filled with the occult. And so with that background, when we read a passage, a passage that I'm pretty sure you students of the word are familiar with. When you read a passage from Paul that he wrote to the Church of, of Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, you know this verse. It says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the power, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness and the heavenly places." Now doesn't that verse kind of stand out? Now that you have an understanding of the background, it was dark. It wasn't physical. The battle wasn't physical, it's never physical. Regardless of what city, uh, whether it was in time of ancient times or today, is all this pretty much the same. Spiritual darkness everywhere. And so, verse 1, And it happened when Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. I know I read that already, but here's another part to that. What I love about this here is that remember when Paul left Ephesus, he went to the synagogue, and it says he reasoned with the Jews there in the synagogue in Ephesus in chapter 18. They wanted him to stay a little bit longer. And what did he say in verse 21? Acts chapter 18, verse 20 is, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you God willing, God willing. And now the Lord is willing, and he was willing, and if you, if you remember in chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul began his second, when he began a second missionary journey, he went to that area of Galatia. He went to this very region. He wanted to preach the gospel. And as he goes to this gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit forbid him. You remember in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Persia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. You see how God works? First, you know, his first attempt to preach the gospel in this area, the the Holy Spirit said, no, not just yet. Uh, There's something we need to take care of, more important. And so he passes over this area. He goes visit a synagogue in Ephesus just for a little while. And he says, I must depart, but Lord willing, I will return. Why would he say Lord willing? Well, the first time he came, the Holy Spirit forbade him. Now he comes back and he begins his third missionary journey. And here he is fulfilling the promise that he gave him. Saints, can I tell you that it's really, really important for you to really trust in the Lord. And even for your tomorrows, there's just so many of us, even myself, I fall into that. We put just too much confidence in what's going to happen today, tomorrow, or next week, next month, or next year. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, especially if you're following God and you're following the Holy Spirit. You're not following the flesh. You don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and says, no, not today, maybe tomorrow. Go in this direction or go here or go there. I think we should follow the words of James in James in his epistle, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. It says, come now, you who say tomorrow or today we will go to such and such city, spend a year here, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. If you surrender your life completely to the Lord, you're trusting in the Lord, you're not following your own flesh. You're following the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what you want to say, Lord willing. We need to trust our lives in the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead us and direct us into the direction and where he wants to take us. Many of us put too much hope and we find out that once we get there, there is nothing. We made the wrong turn. And we could see here that the, the Lord was leading Paul and he was guiding his step. The Holy Spirit was directing the work of the ministry. And so Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, when he gets there, beginning his third missionary journey, gets there as he promised, he comes across a group of men who are disciples. Now, disciple, the word disciple is a Christian term. It is one who follows Christ. Now, it is unknown as to who disciples they were of. We don't know. They could have been a disciple of John the Baptist. They could have been a disciple of Apollos, who also, at the beginning of his ministry, began to teach the baptism of John. We don't know. It could have been any Christian believer, because remember, when Paul got into that area, there were already Christians in that region. Now, there are some scholars um, who by no means know whose disciples they, they were a part of, uh, but nonetheless, the important thing that we could see here in the text, there were disciples, and even by the question that Paul asked them, they were believers, because Paul himself, at the end of his first question in verse 2, you'll see he says, when you believed, when you believed. In other translations, it says, since you believed. So when you believe or since you believe, and Paul, you know, to him, that he was considered, they were considered believers. He wasn't asking if they were Christians. He wasn't sharing the gospel to them. He was talking to them about doctrine. He was talking to them about uh, the baptism. And so the question that Paul asks is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And so what would prompt a question like this? To Paul, What did Paul see in these men that he would ask this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What was, what, was the, what was the very thing that just prompted him to ask this question? Now, Paul is a man of God. He's filled with the Spirit. He doesn't move in the flesh. He moves in the Spirit. Listening to the Holy Spirit, wanting the Holy Spirit not to go here and to go there. And so he sees a group of men. There's something that he noticed probably wasn't adding up for those that who are believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then there should be some fruit. There should be some evidence that you're a believer. So, you know, Christ tells us, as believers, Christ says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, he says, you will know them by their fruits. It's not a judgment. People like to say, oh, don't judge me. You shouldn't be judging. No, there's two types of judgment in scripture. One to judge righteous judgment is to know people by their fruit. The other judgment that Christ tells us not to judge, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're judging one who's a believer or not, is judgment unto condemnation, saying that you I'm you know what they judge that person is saying that person is is headed for eternal damnation. That's not our place. But there's righteous judgment. So Paul makes a righteous judgment in these men. He noticed something was different. Now, it may not necessarily be fruit. It could be the love that they have for one another. Maybe they were bickering. Maybe they were fighting. Maybe they were calling each other's names. And they show no evidence of love. Another reason why we would judge, uh, looking at people, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 35, he says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So whatever it could have been, their behavior, or whatever it is that Paul noticed, he noticed that there was a lacking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something was missing. Something was missing. There was something missing, and it was lacking. You know, is the Holy Spirit. When you find people, or you go into a church, you go into a Bible study, and you just say, this is something is right. It's not for us to be witch hunting. You know, it's not for us to, okay... Let me take out my spiritual, Holy Spirit's not here. It's not for us to start witch hunting. But you know, when you spend time with a person and you realize they call themselves Christians and they're carnal Christians, they're Christians by names, and there's no evidence of fruit. There's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The same thing when you walk into a Bible study or or into any ministry, you find that there's something missing. There's no power, there's no excitement, there's no enthusiasm. The, The worship is dull. And again, if you're with a person who says they're Christian, but they hardly uh, are involved in ministry. There's no excitement, not excited enough to to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unsaved friends and family. Or they barely talk about the Lord or things of the Lord. So the question remains that Paul asked these men, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I think that's a question that should be asked within the church today question we need to ask ourselves, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I know many of you who are students of the Word, you understand the doctrine and how it works in salvation. You understand the doctrine and how the Holy Spirit works. So you ask yourself, well, wait a minute. I know that if one accepts Christ as Lord and personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in. Isn't that true, Pastor Eddie? Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in us when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Person and Savior. You're inviting Christ into your heart. the Holy Spirit comes in. In Romans chapter eight verse nine, it tells us, "Is it but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit? If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, He is not His. How do you know you belong to Christ? You accepted Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. So the question has been asked, and he's not asking any different. What Paul is asking, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? In other words, did you receive the Holy Spirit upon you for the work of service? Now, I think this is very important for the church to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Paul questioned. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you accepted Christ? Did the Holy Spirit be upon you? We know that we accept it. when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit's in us. But something happened in the day of Pentecost that changed the world—the birth of the Church. It was when the Holy Spirit was not in them because already it was in them. It's when the Church was upon them. So everyone here, by a way of showing with your hands, raising of hands, I'm not going to call you out. Everyone who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, a person, and Savior, is a believer and saved. Raise your hand. Okay. Each and every one of you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, it's important for us to understand how the Holy Spirit works because if we don't understand how the Holy Spirit works with the area of the Holy Spirit being upon us, then we lack. There is something missing. You may even ask yourself, why am I not passionate about the things of Jesus? Why I do not have a spiritual hunger for the Word of God? Why can I not act like a Christian? Why can I walk in the Spirit, but I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh? The Holy Spirit needs to be upon you. Now, for us to understand this, and you know we've done this before, but by I think it's very important for the sake of our text so we can understand, and I think the church doesn't hear enough about it, and it's how the Holy Spirit works. The three Greek words, three Greek words, prepositions that describe the Holy Spirit, the relationship of the Holy Spirit. It's para, work alongside. The other Greek word is en, as we say, in, And the next one is epi or epi, uh, which is upon. So let us look at how the the, the Holy Spirit works. Uh, when Jesus first spoke with, when, not first, when Jesus spoke with his disciples, he said to them in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, he said, I will pray the Father And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you, that's para, and he will be in you, that's en, en, in the Greek. So he dwells with the disciples at this time, but he will be, not that he's in them, because that has not happened yet. But he dwells with them, para, alongside. And that would only take place after Christ is risen. And so the Holy Spirit's been working alongside them. The Holy Spirit's been working alongside each and every one of us. If you can remember the day, your spiritual birthday, uh, the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, the Holy Spirit was tugging you to the cross. The Holy Spirit was telling you there's something missing. So the Holy Spirit not only works with Christians alongside us, but more he works in us and upon us. But the Holy Spirit also works alongside those who are unbelievers, murderers, adulterers, those who reject Jesus Christ. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is working alongside and leading them to the cross so they could accept Jesus Christ as Lord and person and Savior. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit has done for you. Each and every one of you have raised your hand. You accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, a person, and Savior. And what led you to the cross? Yeah, it could have been someone. The Holy Spirit probably used your Aunt Sue or, or Uncle Bob. Or it could have been your co-worker. It could have been anyone. Or you could have just turned on the radio and gave your life to the Lord. Or opened your Bible. The Holy Spirit was para, working alongside. Well, we get the word parallel. That's the Greek word. And so the Holy Spirit uh, was working alongside them. And after Jesus rose from the grave, the tomb is empty. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. It says here, John, well, before he went to the right hand of the Father, in John chapter 20, verses 21 to 22. It says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Lord breathed on them. And that's when they received the Holy Spirit now in them. The Holy Spirit is now into every man's heart and every woman's heart except Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. And it's funny. When you accepted the Lord, you may have not sensed a change right away. It could have been the following week or the next week. I know a pastor that used to smoke marijuana. <laughs> But anyway, you know, it's a lot of Calvary childhoods like that. But anyway, you know, they were all ex okay, whatever. But it's amazing the transformation of their lives. But he, was, he shares his testimony how he used to smoke marijuana. He gave his life to the Lord. He smoked the next day, and then it was the following week. He was just, I don't want to do this anymore. The Lord was working in his life. No longer. He's not high on drugs. He's high for Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And these are the things that are stripped away little by little. So you're not gonna, you know, get goosebumps. So you necessarily, you're not gonna do anything weird. You're just gonna, all of a sudden, it just takes a time and it starts working in your life. The Holy Spirit is still working in your life. The Holy Spirit's still working in my life. After He had He had worked in my life, so okay, Eddie, you got that down pack. It took it took us five years to get through your thick skull. Okay, here's the next thing. You know, it continues on. And God is the Holy Spirit forever working us. But the Holy Spirit was breathing on them. And the Holy Spirit can only be in man after Jesus is glorified. This is something that John wrote in his gospel, quoting Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and John explains this, as by this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him will, would receive. Well, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit was working with them, para, but he could not be in the Greek word, en, until Jesus was glorified. And so that takes place once, you know, we accept the Lord. And now here's the third. And this is where I think many Christians are lacking. This is why I feel that I, without a doubt, a lot of churches are lacking, a lot of ministries, but it all starts with the individual. It all starts with the Christian. This is the area that I think many Christians lack, is the Holy Spirit to be upon you, upon you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord said to them, before he ascended to be with the Father, he said to them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, epi.
0: The race. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Running the Race. Eddie will continue teaching through the Book of Acts next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to RunningTheRaceRadio.com. You can also subscribe to the Running the Race podcast at RunningTheRaceRadio.com or search for Running the Race in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Running the Race podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to runningtheraceradio.com and subscribe to the Running the Race podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and access the archive of messages, log on to runningtheraceradio.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church. The place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that running the race is missionary work? It is! Please prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race. Go to RunningTheRaceRadio.com and click on the Give option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study as Eddie shares insights with us from the Book of Acts. That's next time on Running the Race.